I can guarantee you right now, I'm not worried about hedging against the recession right now because I feel like it's going to change. It is going to be something. I want to be with those thought leaders that are already into 2023. What is happening? What are we predicting there? Because if it's already here, we're too late. I'm Kieran, and welcome to Culture Crunch, where we discuss all things company culture related. Today, we're lucky enough to be joined by Susan Whitmore, the Revenue Operations Leader at TeamPay. Susan, welcome. Hello, glad to be here. Nice to see you. Lovely to see you. How have you been? I've been great, you know, heading into right. quarter end. It's a little bit crazy at TeamPay, but you know, we're rolling. I know. On reflection, perhaps the last week of the quarter was not the best time for us to do this <laughs> recording. But You're right, you know. I loaded up with coffee early. We're good. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, we're thrilled to have you uh, as a guest today, Susan. And I'd like to start by asking you quite a big question. And that is, in your opinion, what does good company culture look like? Oof, that is a big one. So... You know, I do a lot of interviewing, and when I interview individuals, I, I tend to ask them, what are you looking for? And usually the response is, well, I'm looking for this type of culture. And so I ask them, how do you define it? It is all over the place. But the way that I look at it is really, what are the norms? What are the behaviors? How do you communicate? How do you engage with each other? Is there a level of trust? Is there not? Are you led by fear? So I think for for me, I, I would say culture is kind of, you want to build a high-performing team. Mm-hmm. And so what are the attributes to that high-performing team? I've never met a company that I've spoken with that says, hey, I want to build a mediocre team. That's who I am, what I want, and let's go do it. So I think you have to start with who you want to be, what do you want to drive, and then back it out of how do you get there? What are those norms and behaviors that you want within the organization? So we've discussed good culture. On the flip side, what's bad culture? And what is the cost of bad culture to a business? I think there is a lot of cost to a bad culture. A lot of times we don't see it, we don't measure it, we don't put it on that balance sheet, but there is a performance tax. There is a unbelonging tax that takes place when you have a bit of a rogue culture taking place. Mm -hmm. If there is on the surface a sense of belonging, but then behind closed doors, individuals are feeling isolated, they're not feeling their impact, they're not feeling acknowledged you're not going to get the optimum performance that you hired them originally for. I spend a lot of time in this area just getting to know my colleagues, understanding where are their values, what's happening at home, what's happening at work. Are they bringing 100% of themselves to work mentally? Or is there some mental interference that is happening? And this is what I call the suffering in silence. And I've seen it in every single organization. I think it's more prolific here in remote work 
because we aren't face to face. But understand when, even in a Zoom, when you start seeing individuals that were maybe once loud and engaged, get a bit quieter, there is body language you can see. And, and all of that kind of feeds throughout the organization. So I really believe that there is this performance tax that's happening on organizations that are spending so much time and energy and money hiring, and yet they're losing their employees six months, 12 months later. And when we talk about the, the, the point of attrition, how much weight do you think is given to the, 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 the headspace and the mental impact? That, that happens as, an, as a natural re result of, of essentially people leaving a business. If you have someone that is feeling disconnected from the teams, and this is kind of what I say is like, this is the unbelonging tax. They're going to be quiet. They're probably not going to be the ones that say, hey, I need some help. Mm. I want to work on this. I don't know how, right? So they're, they're working in fear. The flip side of that is if you have someone that feels like they are part of the team, that maybe it's a learning culture, we're in this together, that fear gets flipped to, I don't want to let them down. It moves them forward to where they need to improve. You know, the same thing happens then in the realm of belonging, in the realm of aspirations to the team. So if you think about, you know, we're all driven by fear. Um, or flight, right? So you want to reduce the fear. And there's a saying here, if you belong, you, you kind of flip this from fear and flight to fight and unite. And, and you, you mentioned earlier about when the chips are down, you know, when, when the deal cycle falls, you know, targets aren't going to be hit. Would you say that a litmus test for, for good culture is actually... Not when everything is hunky-dory, fantastic, but a sign of good culture is actually when things aren't going well, how cohesive the team is. 100%. It is easy to celebrate mm -hmm. and have fun and feel that familial bond that we, we somewhat want to feel when we spend our life hours at work yeah. when you're winning. That's phenomenal. Pop the champagne, go out, celebrate. When things turn, mm -hmm. and they always do at some point, that's when you are like sludging through the mud. Yeah. And it's an interesting concept that I see, because I'm in operations, I see it in different ways. Clearly, I can see it in the sales teams and in the CROs I've worked for, and even in you know promotions from a seller to a first time sales manager, right? All of these things are hard. But if I even think about it cross-functionally, I always boil it down to like the age old debate around attribution to pipeline. So you have CMOs out there and now they are tied to revenue, which is phenomenal. Mm. But so much of it isn't measured. And then you have the CROs out there and they are tied to revenue, except they hold the whole number. Now, when people are winning, Sales and marketing are getting along. It's phenomenal. Everybody's, I don't care about the attribution. I don't care about the credit. We're good. We're winning. Yeah. As soon as that organization starts fumbling, 
the market turns, something changes, all of a sudden this age-old debate about pipeline attribution comes in. And it's so predictable because on the surface they'll say, I don't really care. I just get as much as you can in. I don't care who gets credit. Mm. But I'm in operations, and I can tell you in every single organization where this happens, they then turn to me. <laughs> and they're like, I need this. Like, they're not doing their job, or they're not doing their job, mm -hmm. right? And it's balancing that aspect of it. So if you start from that sense of partnership, it's so much easier to weather the storm. And that sense of partnership is essentially the, the the foundation for that good culture that we talk about as we scale, as we grow. We're, we're growing in the number of partnerships, essentially, that we have under one roof. Would you say that was yeah, true? Yeah, for sure. I mean, mm. if you think, I think about partnerships cross-functionally, and then I think about partnerships throughout the hierarchy of the org, right? Mm -hmm. and, and when you have a partnership and it's within your team that seems to be a little bit more controllable, right? You set your own subculture, your norms and your behaviors. But yeah. cross-functionally, how are we operating? What are the norms and behaviors of how the cross-functional leaders are interacting? Are they all aligned? Is the communication clear? Mm -hmm. So as an individual contributor, I always think they're looking up and they're looking sideways. And are they hearing the same words, language? Do the goals seem to be aligned? You know, I feel like it's it's kind of rowers. When you see rowers, um, I was just on the Charles the other day, and it's amazing to watch them, yeah. right? Because they are in synergy. Like everyone is rowing in the same direction, and it is down to the speed of their strokes. Everything is is clear. So in your organization, I really ask leaders uh, when I speak with them about this is, what does that feel like in your org? Mm. If you were to look sideways, down and up, what what feels like there's flow? Where, do, where are you feeling the friction? And then spend some time and unpack it a little bit. What is the cause of there? I don't know if that's helpful. That's really helpful. Very thought-provoking, as always, Susan. I mean, it's just so interesting. Even, you know, us, the, the organization, I mean, I, I think what you're saying transcends all industries, to be honest with you. You know, I know initially we started speaking and, and a lot of our conversations were very specific to the tech community and startups. But actually, good company culture, I think, transcends those parameters, and because you, you break it down, it's people, isn't it? It's people always. And I, I just found your the concept you were talking about the number of partnerships within a business really very, very quite powerful. Now, what is happening now, would you say, that impacts the success of, of creating a high-performance culture? So I would say there's probably four or five key trends that I'm seeing. And this is... You know, I've been in tech now for two decades, so I will say, although some of these have always been around post-COVID and the way we work, I think that they're, they're definitely something that we are all experiencing for the first time. And the first one is, of course, this remote first. Mm -hmm. Companies aren't together. People, 
at companies aren't together. And I think there is a question of, can you build a trusted organization virtually? What does that look like? What does that feel like? Mm. Our formality of how we arrive every day has dropped significantly, right? right? You know, I have a sweater on today. Tomorrow, I may have a baseball cap on. Yeah. I don't know. It depends. Um, And so it's an individual adjustment I think we all had to go through. I would say that there are some techniques, there are ways that companies are exploring how to build a tighter culture remotely. And I spend lots of my time in communities really listening, hearing, and then we're testing, right? So for me, I've always been in corporate headquarters. This shift has been significant. Like I'm a hugger. I'm showing up to work every day. Like, okay, where the hell are my hugs? Yeah, the dog does not give a hug like a human. So <laughs> the dog needs his face. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's done. He's like, will you just yeah. leave me alone? Mm. So I think these are things that we really have to consider. Um, some other areas that I I am curious about and concerned is really just around the acceleration of noise in the system. I think this is both from a social media perspective. I think that we are inundated with information constantly uh, and you really have to be in front of it and create your own boundaries because, you know, there's a phenomenal book out there called Lost Focus and I know I've shared it with you. I've already gone through two book clubs with it. It's just so good. It's based on this idea of like the rate of information has accelerated to a degree we've never seen. Yet our brains have not changed in 40,000 years in the way we consume information. So how do we balance this and still feel like as a leader, I know where the next trend is. I know enough to get my job done. I feel competent. I feel confidence. But Yet the rate of change is massive. That's not even considering the macroeconomics that are happening out there, the the social media threads that are happening and, and all of this impact that again ties back to potentially building some mental interference, right? Is is your world of noise helping you move faster? Or is it like holding you back in fear? I don't know, but I do think that individuals have to take a pause and think about that. Do I really need five or six newsletters in the morning to stay on top of trends? Am I really reading all of them? And in terms of tangible steps, okay, like what can we do, you know, starting nine o'clock tomorrow, new day, what tangible steps can we implement to, to address some of these points? Okay, first off, take control of your damn calendar. Like, we live in a transparent world. At TeamPay anyways, I suspect many companies operate this way. Slack, and this was actually said uh, by my RevOps manager, which I think was brilliant. She's like, Slack is like, all of a sudden, I get access to everyone's private emails. And I go, whoa. That's exactly what it feels like. I'm like, shut the shit down. 
Here, here are the things you need to be active on. Here are the things that like every day are our go-tos. And by the way, these other groups, have at it. If you are interested, if you want to learn more, if you want to go into the, the dog channel, that's great. Every once in a while, I need to go to the Fido channel and see a couple of cute dogs. Like, I don't know. It makes me smile. But I don't need an alert for it every day. So, you know, it's just, it seems common sense. But again, going back to give permission to do this and give structure. What are the guidelines? One of the things Team Pay does, which I, I really love because we're remote first, is they declared the working hours are 10 to 6. Doesn't mean that I can't work earlier and I can't work later. No, it just meant like, hey, between 10 and 6, we're going to expect you to be online. If you aren't, just let us know. But like, give guardrails. I'm an early person. I'm up at 5 o'clock in the morning. But I use that time as my deep thinking time. So figure out what those norms are in your organization. And if they don't exist, ask for them. Like, give me boundaries so that I know how to plan my day. The other thing is that we lack deep thinking. I mean, I'm in operations. I have to flex all day long from very tactical, hey, by the way, you know, industry isn't normalized. We have to go clean that up to more strategic things like, oh, all right, let's go plan Q3's targets and how we're going to get there and the messaging, onboarding, et cetera. I have to do that across functions. So my brain is flexing all day long. I can't do that and build if I am back to back to back in Zoom meetings for 30 minutes all day long. So block your time. I mean, I will tell you Tuesdays and Thursdays from 8 a.m. until 1 p.m. I am off the grid. I'm not apologetic for it. <laughs> like It just is what it is. That is where I'm building. That's where I'm thinking. This is where I'm, I'm thinking about the behaviors, the systems. What do we need to attack? Who do I need to support with certain information? But I protect that time. I've also asked my team to do the same thing. Now, it doesn't mean that I won't answer calls. It means that if the whole team, Tuesdays and Thursdays, are building, thinking, designing, now we can throw up a Zoom. Sometimes we'll be on Zoom for three hours. We're not really talking. We're just all kind of feeling like we're in the same room. So play around with those pieces of it. And by all means, please do not call your blocked time focus time. It is like the one thing that will get overwritten in your calendar by anybody. So change the names, have fun with it. Sometimes I call it a team RevOps offsite. Sometimes I'm like two appointments on my calendar that never get overbooked. My AM workout at 9 a.m., which I've never worked out <laughs> at 9 a.m. And at, oh, it's ridiculous. And at 12 o'clock, I have walk the dog available on cell. And that poor pup has not been walked ever. So, like, it is, it's like all built on psychology. Figure out what your name is and then just take control because I can guarantee you either meetings that you need to be a part of can be recorded. And I always say, hey, I'm grabbing my popcorn tonight. I'll watch the meeting. That's totally great. Or they don't necessarily have to happen. But when I look across the organization and say I have a burning issue where I found something 
for the CMO, for the VP of sales. I'm like, yeah, I got to go grab time with them. Okay, I'm out two weeks and I'm still trying to find a half an hour. Like, you can't move in this environment fast if there isn't downtime. Think about back when we were in an organization. The best brainstorming happened after five o'clock when everybody went home and there was a few of us hanging out in the office, kind of bullshitting, but really we were reflecting. Hey, so-and-so seemed off today. Hey, did you see messaging on this person? You know, I wonder if we did this and move that. All these if-then brainstorming questions would come up. And by the way, we as humans were decompressing. Decompressing and you're also prioritizing yourself, which is something that I, we're not very good at. We're not very good at because we're, you know, someone else has a query, someone needs you. So, so you, so you prioritize them, which, you know, especially in management, that's what you do. However, when do you have that protected time, as you said, for yourself? I think that's really quite remarkable. It's it's quite a simple thing, but it's poorly executed, generally speaking. And I think if we as individuals can invest in ourselves a bit more, what I'm hearing from you is that actually it's going to benefit everyone anyway. Yeah, it really does. I mean, if we thought about I put everything in my day in critical and urgent. Critical, urgent, kind of important. Everything else falls by the wayside. Think about that. But don't think about everything Mm. is critical. You ever go to a support ticket online and you're like, damn it, I need help right now. And they're like, oh, is it highly urgent? You're like, yeah, it is. Is it really? No, but you know if you put low priority, you are never hearing back from that company. Right? Exactly. (laughs) So we, we cannot be in this headspace that everything yeah. is urgent. The other thing, if you think about what we as leaders can, can provide to our teams, so much of it is coaching, developing, mentoring them for the next role that they're going yes. to take on. So how can you do that in 30-minute increments on Zoom without mm-hmm. thinking? And also, if someone goes through something hard, if you just like, I always think about kind of the onboarding of, of ramp, right? Like sellers in ramp always have to go through tiers of improvement. And companies are always trying to figure out how to shorten ramp. But in that growth phase, when you've gone through something really, really hard, the growth doesn't come from jumping to the next thing that's really, really hard. So actually, it by slowing down, we're speeding up effectively. And certainly, I mean, I, I completely agree. I think when we talk to others and, and we manage people and we, we, we give them advice, I mean, I, I can only speak for myself. I think the advice I give is honest and with integrity and with honesty. But then how often would I take that advice myself? How often do I tell myself that? How often do I show myself that kindness? Um, and, you know, do we do that? I, I don't think we do that enough because I think the expectation is we live in a world, as you said at the beginning of, of, of this, Susan, where information is instant and change is constant. And if you don't keep up with it, 
you're you're making yourself irrelevant almost um I I mean I work in a quite a young team with a young team or well, younger than me but everyone's younger than me and um and sometimes I'll sit back and they'll be talking about something and I I will literally have no idea what they're talking about but I but it doesn't bother me because I'll just ask them and they're very you know forthcoming and sharing and it's fine but if we take that into a work environment we almost feel like we've got to know everything that's being spoken about and it's exhausting it's exhausting it's 100% exhausting i mean i'm a lifetime learner i love to learn i could talk i probably need more of a personal life i will totally admit that however i love this i think that every organization is like this living organism right we know what good looks like yet we are all struggling and finding those communities where you can share what's working, what's not, is, I will say, a career game changer. It's also someplace where you can say, I have confidence in what I've built and what I know, right? So it becomes this safety net that allows you a much broader perspective of whatever your skill and ability is that you can bring back to the organization. But if I'm running so hard and I am only seeing my company, you are not bringing your best tools to the business. You're only seeing this. But yet, if we think about that rate of change that's happening in the market, I can guarantee you right now, I'm not worried about hedging against the recession right now because I feel like it's going to change. It is going to be something. I want to be with those thought leaders that are already into 2023. What is happening? Then? What are we predicting there? Because if it's already here, we're too late. We can we can hedge, right? We can start constricting cash. We can lower the hiring and so forth. But if you're constantly pivoting on the current market condition, you're losing the foresight of what other companies are doing, which is like, hey, I want to look out two or three years or maybe even a year and see what is happening there. I mean, in mentoring millennials, you know, part of being in the older generation, we're worried about losing the talent we bring in because we in our headspace have said they're job hoppers. Well, not really. They're building a career just like what we were doing 15 years ago, at least myself. And they want certain things. So figure out what they want and provide them. So part of, you know, when I work with my team, I dedicate one quarter, it's HR free zone. Like, I don't really care what they want to talk about. It's their time. They want me to match them up with mentors in my network. They want to just dig deeper into something else. It's their time because they're learning how to be the future leaders. And if you dedicate that time in whatever capacity you can, you're more likely to hold on to them. And with the millennials, you talked about how we, there is a, a, a preconception, an unfair you know, preconception that they're hoppy, therefore they're going to leave soon. But actually we're looking at them through a skewed lens, aren't we, from day one? Because it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, well, they're hoppy, therefore we don't need to invest. And then they leave because they didn't receive that investment. And so it's just the perpetual cycle that won't be broken unless there is a change of behavior. 
And so I think it's really interesting what you said there about actually what they want is what anyone would want and what we wanted. And I completely agree. Thinking back, it was, I, I too used to look at the, the leadership and, and, and look to them as this kind of like, they're shining the light and I'm just going to blindly follow because I trust them. And, and, I, and, and I think you're right. I think the pendulum has swung whereby... It is more peer influence that holds more weight and gravitas. It does make me smile, though. It's so ironic, isn't it? We work in a space which is all about innovation and forward thinking. You know, tech, just that's that's what it is. It's about not keeping up, but it's about being ahead of the curve always. Yet how we manage our people and how we try and cultivate a good culture is completely the opposite. It's reactive. We're not we're not setting the trend, as you said. Yeah, I think that's exactly what's happening. You know, I I pivoted my my whole I guess perspective of startups last June and I was really I was stuck on this concept of resilience. How do we build more resilience in these startup organizations in culture? How do you do that? Where do you start? Why are we seeing so much reactive behavior? And where is that focus on fiscal stability, like shareholder value, all these things that I was like, okay, this is like grounded in me. Why aren't we talking about that? So there's lots of reasons as we've already discussed why we've gotten to the place that we are right now. But, you know, I think that the biggest thing leaders can do today is bring it up. Understand you don't have all the answers, but you're like, hey, I got this feeling. I sense that. What do you think about it? Involve, involve the the team. I don't care how big or small your team is. You know, when I was hiring for a RevOps manager and you clearly get an idea of what my personality (laughs) is. I was like, hey, I have this thought. Like, (laughs) <laughs> tell me about your fears tell me about your trace it's like oh what's going on <laughs> yeah. but you know and we had some fun with it and it was an informal like i'm just curious and of course we had this conversation when she was hired and she's like you know and i brought her through the fears and trait i'm like oh i totally resonate with this one. Oh, i could tell you stories about this one when it came to myself and she's like those resonate with me. And the thing is, is that some of those resonate with me and I hate that they resonate with me. And I go, yeah, I totally feel that. Okay. What do you want to do? Like, how are we going to help each other? So like be open. And the same thing I think goes for conversations around DEI. It goes for inclusion. All of these conversations can feel heavy. We put labels on everything, but if we actually take the label away, get curious about the behavior, it becomes sometimes a really insightful, thought-provoking conversation. And it goes back to what you said, Susan, at the beginning of this, which was understanding your people, understanding them individually, taking the time to understand what drives them, what their goals are, both professionally and personally. And, and, and that's exactly where we've come back to, haven't we? That's right. I mean, I, I think that is honestly the, the one thing that will never change. Yeah. Um, I wholeheartedly believe that you build organizations faster with people. 
I think we lose talent that we have spent time and investments in and procured. We hire for some amazing company values. Almost every company is hiring for curiosity. Every company is hiring for grit. A ton, like think about your company. What are the values that you're hiring for? Now, are you giving space for them to demonstrate it? If you're hiring for highly curious people, are they slammed every day in Zoom meetings being told what to do? Okay, guess what's gonna happen to that person? I mean, you put them through the ringer to make sure they were curious. You asked them, they built projects, they demonstrated their curiosity, and then you stuffed them in a box and said, here, do these things. So there are things in an organization where you're like, hey, these are sacred. We don't change this. Okay. But this space over here, like, go at it. Yeah. Absolutely. There's a lot of talk, um, even with, you know, with, within the, the business I work in about contribution, contributing. And it's something that I think resonates with all of us. But then are we giving our team the space to contribute their way? Or actually, are, right. we... are you telling them what their contribution is? Yeah. <laughs> or are we saying you you need, you know, it's great to contribute in this way. And there's the box, contribute there. But actually, are we allowing people to contribute in other areas, areas that we've not even thought of? So just, yeah, I mean, what you just said, thinking about it, you know, it's resonating and, and it's, um, yeah, very impactful. As ever, Susan. Susan, our conversations are always, I always walk away with a hundred more questions, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, I told you, I could talk this all day long, but everything is incremental. Like, I think that we put our, our heads in a space where we have to solve this giant macro problem. First, is it actually a problem? Unless you have people flying out the door, it's reality. It, it, it's an is. So then you figure out, okay, is the is of what the organization today what I want it to be? Figure out what you want it to be. And then back down, and I will tell you... I have a deep history in change management, but change happens in incremental individual ways. So if you think that you're gonna do an all hands call and the CEO is gonna go and like pivot to the next vision and everyone's gonna go, all right, that's who we are now. It's never gonna happen. But if you do things in a manner that are quiet, that are subtle, Figure out who those people are in the organization that have conviction, have the belief in where we're going. Empower them to take on some responsibility. Don't tell them what to do. Just say, hey, I see you. What you just did there was amazing. My best enablement individuals and organizations were actually the sellers who figured out a craft in doing something. I didn't have to go tell them to go train someone else. They just naturally did that. So let that naturally happen. You know, if you want to build that alignment horizontally and vertically, I, so first I hate engagement surveys, like scratch those complete waste of time, but we love it. We check the box. It's like, you know, every HR dream, sorry to all my HR professionals, but you know, a ranking of one to five on 
generic questions, never going to move the needle. However, having a coffee chat, right? Like get your CEO, get your sales leader, get your CMO, get the product person that's leading the design and, you know, the innovation. Figure out, hey, Fridays, we're going to do these like random coffee chats on, on Zoom. We're going to pick cross-functional individual contributors and leaders. We're going to put them on a Zoom and we're going to talk and we're going to share what we do and how we do it. And then we're going to ask them how they're doing. How does what they do contribute? What are they seeing? Let them kind of participate in building that vision. You will get more buy-in. People will feel that true sense of belonging like they're being heard. But it doesn't mean you go launch this giant promotion of what's happening. Just do it subtly. <laughs> Just quiet movements. Yes, small incremental steps in the right direction. That's right. All with the intent of learning and engagement. If you lead with that, yeah. I can tell you, you will get rogue behaviors. Yeah. But you're going to get rogue behaviors no matter what. Mm. But if you're done with the right intent, you will start building that trust to move faster. Susan, everything that you've discussed from engagement to you know, building of teams, to strong management, to the sense of belonging, uh, I think you know, certainly does help in understanding what good company culture is and more importantly, what tangible steps can be made to drive that and propel that. Susan, we've run out of time. Uh, I don't know where I don't know where the time's gone. I never do when I speak with you. It doesn't help that I'm in a windowless room, and it's kind of like talking to you is like being um, in a casino in Vegas, right? You don't know you don't know how long you've been there, but you know you're having fun. No day or night. <laughs> oh my god! You know it's a good time. So well, <laughs> this is a blast. It really was. Um, you know, you are generous with your time because you know I can speak on these things all day long, but I don't know, it's a playground. Have fun with it. I think so often we are not having fun in what we're doing. So like drop the egos, relax a little bit, it will all be okay, <laughs> and just go play a little bit and see how it feels. And when it goes rogue and blows up, don't call me. <laughs> <laughs> I like the disclaimer at the end. Thank you. That's right. Sorry. <laughs> but it's been a pleasure. Um, Susan, thank you. Thank you so much. As always, found our chats really insightful and, and, and more importantly, just bloody enjoyable. So thank you. And uh, I look forward to speaking with you soon.